Hi, welcome to the Total Fit Boss Chick Podcast. I'm your host, Brittany Parks. And joining me today is Nana Narago, former practicing real estate attorney and creator of the B&B from Scratch Method. And she's hosted over 20 successful and profitable Airbnb and short-term rental listings since 2014. And she's generated over $20,000 in booking revenue in one month and over $250,000 in one year. Now today we're discussing how to make money on Airbnb without owning a property and no money, what you can do to stand out as an Airbnb host, how to scale the business, and how to build a recession-proof system even during a pandemic, and so much more. Life is too short. Try to run a business and balance what you love. I'm your host, Brittany Parks, a former corporate marketing drone and certified life coach turned mompreneur who got fed up with the mom guilt that comes from trying to have the perfect work-life balance. Why can't we have a fit life and a fit business? I'm here to make it easier to be your own boss and enjoy your life. Tune in every Thursday for new episodes. We're going all in with interviews with industry leaders, entrepreneurs, risk takers, coaches, and side hustlers, along with solo episodes with yours truly to provide actionable tools, tactics, processes, and even case studies so you can discover how to create, maintain, and or grow a total fit lifestyle you deserve. You're listening to the Total Fit Boss Chick Podcast. Welcome to the show, Nana. Thank you so much. That was so glowing. <laughs> I was listening like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why we have you on the show because you have so much to bring and we struggle with what we could do during these times. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, we're just going to jump right into this. I'm going to skip all the preliminary because you have so much to give. I don't want to waste any time. <laughs> all right. All right. I'm down. <laughs> okay. First off, so we all are familiar with Airbnb and most of us just adore Airbnb. How can we get involved in become a host when we don't even have a property? There are about three ways that I teach to get started with Airbnb without having a property. The one, the first way is to use what you have. So that means if you have a spare room or a basement that's not really in that much use, or maybe you even happen to be someone who has a second home or inherited a property that's just sitting there, or you happen to own a rental property, any of those options are ways to start small with Airbnb. And of course, if it's in your own home, you want to be careful and you want to be comfortable, especially with everything going on with the pandemic. So like a basement apartment or basement space um, that's a little separate might be more comfortable for you to do. Or maybe you could do like more longer term or midterm stays so that you're more comfortable with the person in your space. But that's one option. The second option is to actually master lease. And a lot of people also call this rental arbitrage. So, so this is basically like an advanced version of subletting. So you go out, you find a property for rent that is available and with the landlord's permission. So it's all spelled out. It's all out in the open. You get permission to sublet it and use it for Airbnb. So again, you're just renting this space, you're master leasing, it gives you the right to use it on Airbnb or other short term rental platforms. And that way, it's not as cost intensive and doesn't have as many upfront costs as buying a property just for Airbnb, especially. And then the third way is to co-host. And this is one of my favorite ways to get started because it's 
little to no upfront costs. Mm -hmm. You don't have to use your own property, but co-hosting is when you go out and you find an owner, someone who owns a property who might be interested in doing Airbnb or short-term rentals, but they don't have the time or the energy, or they just don't know how to actually do Airbnb. So you would co-host for them. So you're using their property, you're listing the property on Airbnb and for you're getting a percentage of the booking. So you and that owner decide on what your percentage would be. And so every time a booking happens, you get a percentage of that bookings revenue. Those are the three most easy ways to get started with Airbnb without buying a property. Okay. That is good to hear. Cause, and let me just tell you it. Uh, My audience knows that I'm all about numbers and stats. So let me just spit some of this information out so you guys can have it and know it as well. So research says in 2020, there were 2.9 million Airbnb hosts worldwide and 14,000 new hosts joined the platform in 2020 each month. So that's huge. So there is some growth and there's over 7 million listings of Airbnb worldwide in 2020. And there are a hundred thousand cities with active Airbnbs. So I just want to give you guys some of those stats and let you know that there still is space. I know you've probably felt, oh my goodness, <laughs> is there enough room for me in the Airbnb space? Do you believe that there's still enough room in the Airbnb space for new people to come in? I do because it's just like any hotel or any traditional rental. People are going to come and go. There's always going to be, people are always going to need a place to stay, whether it's short term or long term. And there's actually a growing trend. This was actually an article was done by Business Insider over the summer that more and more people are actually looking for short-term rentals instead of your regular 12-month lease. So a lot of times people think of short-term rentals or Airbnb and they're thinking just two nights, three nights, maybe a week at a time. But there's a huge trend and COVID made this grow even more exponentially where people are looking for maybe a month, maybe two months, three months. They don't necessarily want to commit to a 12-month lease and Airbnb helps to facilitate that. So it's a great platform for people to go and find a place where they can stay maybe a little longer and it's less of a commitment and it's fully furnished. And that's really key because a lot of people who are in transition or just figuring things out or know that they are only staying somewhere for but so long, they don't want to have to go out and fully furnish a place they're only going to be at for six months or less. So there's a huge trend and opportunity for people to get in. And I think it all comes down to really knowing your numbers and doing good research on your location. Okay. All right. How do we know our numbers and do good research on our location? Yeah. So in terms of your location, you want to, first of all, find out what you can actually legally do in your city or county, wherever you're located. I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard there are so many different short-term rental regulations going in that cities are putting in. Um, And they're not necessarily bad things, right? Because some people have abused the rules and made it more difficult for people to find a place to stay. You want to find out, hey, can I actually do just a couple of nights and still be within the city's regulations? Or can I, do I have to do 30 days or more? And then once you decide on that, you want to know, well, what's the average one bedroom or two bedroom or whatever the case may be that you're looking at? What's the average uh, nightly rate that place is getting, right? So in this city, let's say, let's pick Houston, Texas. 
in Houston, Texas, I do some research, I go online, I go on Airbnb and look at some comparable sales, almost like in traditional real estate. And I see a one bedroom in this particular part of Houston. On average, they're doing about $150 a night. And I'm just making up these numbers. So Mm -hmm. just for example purposes, that'll give you an idea. Okay, well, that means I can only go out and find a property if I'm going to be master leasing that rents for X amount, because I want to make sure that I can cover my rent and then make a profit. So that's how you start to run your numbers to make sure that this is going to be profitable for you. And you're not going out and getting rents that are way too high for the numbers to make sense. And then that goes along with even when you're co-hosting. So if you're co-hosting, you can talk to your uh, partner owner. Well, what numbers are you, what kind of numbers do you need to make this make sense for you so that you make sure that the numbers work once you get the property up and listed. So stepping back, how do we find these people that would possibly co-host or allow us to master lease? How do we find them? Yeah. If you know how to find a landlord, you know how to find someone who might want a master lease. Oh, bam. Wait, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. (laughs) Well, of course, people always ask me, well, how do you do this? And of course, there are things that you can say to make it a little easier. But if you know how to find a landlord, then you know how to find someone who might want a master lease to you. Because that's who the the pool of people are. They're landlords. They're people who have rental property available that's currently vacant, and they're looking for someone to pay them the rent so they could pay their mortgage. That's the long and short. And they would choose to work with you so they won't have to deal with the bookings, or why would they not do it themselves? Well, a couple of reasons. Some of them, like barely want to be landlords. <laughs> they, right. Some of them just- I've been there. You know, <laughs> if you've been a landlord and I have in the past too, it, it's a lot of work. So mm-hmm. um, doing it as, as an Airbnb where it's shorter turnovers, there's knowledge and, and work that goes into it. So they might not be interested in doing that at all. They just want to collect their regular rent. And especially if the property is vacant and you come to them and say, hey, I will rent this place for you. You might be surpri- pleasantly surprised how many- would be willing. Of course, there are going to be some people who are like, absolutely not. And that's okay. So I always say it's a numbers game because the more frogs you kiss, what's the saying? Yes. You have to kiss a lot of frogs. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So that's one way in terms of finding owners to master lease. And then it can even be the same with co-hosting that you can network with your local network, meaning your friends, family, people who have property, all of us might be surprised how many people we know who actually have either rental property or just property that's sitting there and they're not really doing anything with it. My second Airbnbs was actually with a girlfriend of mine who actually owned an apartment building, a small four unit. And she just happened to have a vacancy and she was having some trouble finding a renter. And we were friends. So I was like, hey girl, I'm doing this little Airbnb. And she was like, well, so I co-hosted with her. I was the host. I handled all the bookings and everything, but she was providing a property that I didn't have at the time. Mm. So we agreed upon our, our split and what the revenue share would be. And that's how my second one came along. Gotcha. Okay. What would be a standard deal for a co-host and for a master lease? There really is no standard because it's just like anything in real estate. There are people who are going to want a three bedroom because they're traveling with their family. There are people who want a studio because it's just them and they're trying to save money. There are people who are going to want 
just a room in their in your house because they're trying to save money. And then there are people who are looking for luxury property because they're doing a really big trip with a, a large group of friends and they want a social distance. They don't want to be in a hotel. So it runs the gamut. When you are working with a co-host, when you're co-hosting with someone or when you're dealing with a master lease, how do you know as far as how much they get and you get from the sale or from the rentals? It's all negotiable. The standard in the industry that I've seen is anywhere between 15 and 30%. And it varies based on your experience and also how much work you're going to be doing. So if you are just doing maybe guest communication where you're handling all the guests, but the owner is still responsible for checking them in or something like that, you might be on the lower end. But if you are handling like guest communication as well as cleanings and you're handling the cleaning turnover, coordinating with the cleaners, you're handling all sorts of things, the calendar scheduling, direct booking. So not just on Airbnb, or maybe you're even putting them on multiple platforms. So you're listing the property for them. You're putting them on other platforms like VRBO or booking.com, things like that. And then if you're handling the payments and then paying them out. So all of that, the more work you're doing, the higher your percentage is going to be. And if you're maybe providing the supplies and things like that, again, your percentage would be higher versus if you're just starting out and you just are only want to do guest communication and coordinating the cleaners and that's it, maybe your percentage would be a little lower. So it all depends on what you negotiable. So you're talking to your partner owner and what are they willing to give you and what are you willing to take? Um, because I've had times where I've said, unfortunately, that's too low for me for the amount of service that I would be providing. And then I've had times where they're like, I don't want to do a thing. I just want the money to show up in my account. And so the, the fee might be a little higher. Okay. I know that there's several people that would definitely be interested in something like this. What would you say would be the first steps when you're just getting started? When you're just getting started, I would say start a little slow um, because you want to learn the business. It's just like anything else where you, there's a bit of a learning curve. So I would say start with maybe a space in your own place or co-hosting. If you have the funds, master leasing is great because you don't have anyone else that you have to make decisions with. So it's also about your personality. So co-hosting is great because you don't have money, a lot of money up front that you have to spend. You do have a partner. Master leasing, it's just all you the only partner, quote unquote, is your landlord, but they're really not a partner. You just pay them every month. I always break it down into six steps. So the first thing is learn your area. See if you can even do short-term rentals in your city. And if not, decide, do I want to do this remotely in another city that's a little more friendly? Where do we go to find out? You could go to your, your local county assessors or county website and just see what are the short-term rental regulations for Las Vegas, Nevada, for instance. Gotcha. Oh, you're good. Okay. Good. Oh my gosh. Love it. Yeah. So <laughs> let's say you're in a city that is not as short-term rental friendly. Maybe the city next door to you just 20 minutes away is. So maybe you decide to do it there. Or maybe your city only allows for or considers things that are 30 days or less as short-term rental. So maybe you just decide, hey, I'm going to do 
one month rentals plus. So that's step number one. Then number two is basically assemble your team, get things in order. So any tools that you decide you want to use to automate like your messaging, if you want to do anything like that, or even just getting together your Airbnb account. Simple as that, getting an Airbnb account, playing around in there, seeing what it's all about, getting your feet wet a little bit. Then you want to actually go and find a property because you need somewhere to to actually use for Airbnb. So that would be deciding, okay, I'm going to do my basement or I'm going to do a room or I've decided I'm going to go the master leasing route. So then it's going about finding landlords, reaching out to them, saying this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm interested in. I want to rent your space. And then finding a place. So that's if you're master leasing. If you're co-hosting, again, going out to your network and seeing who might be interested in doing this with you. So once you find a property, then you actually have to put some interior design into it. So I always say people like take just a handful of seconds, especially in our microwave world, Mm -hmm. where they're looking at listings. If your picture, you can have the most beautiful place, but if your pictures are cruddy, crappy, Mm -hmm. or your design is just a hot mess, you've got this luxury place, but you've got doo-doo brown, I don't know, sofas, shag carpet. So you want to put some design into it. And I always tell people you could DIY if it's your thing, or you can get it done for you. And then once it's designed, you want to set it up. So this is actually putting the place together. And this is a bit of a feat in itself, because if you're getting a lot of furniture, and for me, I always tell people days equal money when it comes to Airbnb, especially if you've master leased. So let's say you've leased a place and your first month's rent is due in a week or two. The more quickly you can get your place all put together, like all of your furniture installed, all of your uh, tech installed, your utilities, things like that, all up and running, the better, because then you can start to get bookings ASAP, which are going to start to cover your rent, which will eventually get you to profit. So setting all of those things up and testing it out, I always tell people to test it out, see what it would be like for you if you were staying there, because you'll find all kinds of things that you're like, oh, this plug doesn't work. Little things. Yeah. And then once you're all set up, you want to actually list it, get photos. I always recommend professional photos and get it listed. And there are certain things that you can put into your listing to try to make you stand out a lot more and rank better because the higher you rank, the more people and more eyeballs you'll get on your listing, which means that you can hopefully get more bookings. So once you are set up and listed, then you're going to go ahead and hone your skills. So that's when you'll start getting like guest bookings and people reaching out to you. So you'll figure out, okay, what is my messaging? What am I getting asked a lot? So then you can set up automated messages. Every time someone asks me this question, this is the answer. You start to automate things slowly, but surely. And then you can implement little tools and that help you to automate even your cleanings. Finding cleaners is a good thing to do when you are assembling your tools as well up front. who's going to be cleaning it. Or if it's going to be you having a nice cleaning protocol or checklist so that you're not missing anything every time that you do your turnover cleanings. And then finally, you can decide if this is something that you want to do again. So do you want to go out and get another property and basically rinse and repeat, do the entire process again? Gotcha. Okay. So this is a lot 
of great information. Now, how do you, stepping back just a couple of steps back, there's so many different listings out there that you've got to compete with. How can you compete? Yeah, so I would just say, try to make your property You can put some unique touches into it, but I'd say people are honestly looking for just clean, good looking spaces. So I never say go out all over the top unless you are specifically trying to target the luxury demographic, then yeah, go for it. One of my mentors says there's a market for Walmart, there's a market for Target, and there's a market for Nordstrom. So pick yours. And that all depends on your budget or even aside from your budget, also what type of clientele do you like to work with, even your area. So if you're in an urban city, people are okay with smaller furniture because they know the space is smaller versus if you're like in the suburbs or in the country, people like to have a lot of space, big furniture. So it all depends on your location, but I would look at your competition and I love Pinterest for ideas. And I do show people the basics. You want to have a good bed for wherever you're located, the good comfortable bed, nightstands. So people have a place to put their phone. You want to make sure you have high quality, especially now high quality Wi-Fi is so crucial. It was crucial (laughs) before the pandemic, but now people out. We are home all day. I need this internet. (laughs) Things like that. Streaming services even. I don't have cable in any of my units right now, but I'll tell you, I definitely have the streaming services, especially people are expecting Netflix at least. So things like that. And then little touches that you can do, even chargers, a USB port or something like that. All those little touches go a long way. I know this is really small and petty, but I'm just... (laughs) I have to ask this question. So for example, Netflix or something like that, do you set up your own? Do you just allow them to get into their own account because so many people have it? Or do you set up accounts for them? Just have an account for the home. I have an account for the home. So I'll have a business account for the home and for my units. And the reason why I do that, especially pre COVID was that a lot of the international travelers, not all of them have access to Netflix. So sometimes they are super excited Hmm. to be able to use Netflix when they get to your property. And then a lot of times just for security reasons, people don't want to have to sign into their account. Sometimes people do. There have been times where I don't have a streaming service. I don't know any one of them. I, I think I have Hulu at all of them now, but there was a time where I didn't. But I'd go to a unit and I'd see, oh, someone signed into their Hulu account. So I'll just sign out. So people will do that. But you want to have because otherwise you don't have unless you have cable, you don't have any other entertainment and people are expecting something. Girl, you're good. (laughs) Yes, I love it. Okay, And, and so again, we talked about Pinterest and I love Pinterest as well. And so what's on Pinterest is furniture. How do we get this thing furnished? Yes, there are a couple ways you can get it furnished. You can buy furniture. And I always say, have a budget, know what you can actually spend. I'm all about not overspending because all of that is money that you need to recoup. So you can go to stores like people front on Ikea, but it's got some good stuff. You can use Amazon. Um, Wayfair is amazing as well. And then the thing I like about all of those kind of stores, and then you can go to traditional furniture stores as well, like Ashley Furniture or anything like that. But I like that there's always a range of furniture. So if you start with a budget, then, okay, I'm only spending this much total. 
then you shop according to that budget. And then I always tell people there are certain things you want in your living room, like a sofa, TV, maybe a workspace, a desk space, especially now because people are working from home. You have your fundamental basics that you want to get covered. And then a super Airbnb cheat code (laughs) that I like to use, and I've had some students and clients use, is to rent the furniture. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I always say, if you're going to rent furniture, rent from a place that will allow you to eventually buy it out so that you're not like renting this furniture forever. But that is a great way to not spend a lot up front and get your place furnished as well. Yeah. Just at least it get you going. Even if you don't stick with that route, at least you have it furnished and you're ready to go. Okay. I've noticed that there's so many different unique ways. There are Airbnbs that are RV, like an RV location. I was headed out to Fredericksburg, Texas, and there was a little retro RV station that was there. Mm -hmm. And they were all Airbnb. It was like six of them that were there. And there's so many different unique ways of doing it. Would you say that it's best to start with a home or is it What about tiny homes or cabins or different things like that? Yeah, so they all work, but I would say personally, and this is just my personal opinion, if you were starting for the first time, I would start small. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a trend. It also depends on where you're located. If you're in a more dense area, like an urban city, more people are looking for one bedrooms or three bedrooms and less. But again, if you're in the suburbs, people are looking for a little bit bigger. I will say smaller units tend to rent a little faster and or get booked a little faster. So Mm -hmm. for me, I like that. Larger units, though, they do bigger numbers because people are willing if it's a four bedroom house and it's a group of them going, they're willing to pay a lot more per night. So, yeah, I'd say start a little smaller. I started with studios and one bedrooms. And then I did some co-hosting with larger units. So again, if you're co-hosting though, that you can do any because you're not, you don't have rent to cover. So that's something to keep in mind too. All right. I am so interested to know what, what you all are thinking. If you're listening in real time, go to the IG stories at the Total Fit Boss Chick. And I would love for you to answer this poll question. Would you consider being a Airbnb host as a side gig? And if you aren't listening in real time, no worries. Check the IG highlights for the responses to the poll questions and you can still weigh in and see the results. Nanana, I'm so excited because you are giving some hope to some people out there. (laughs) I'm serious. I just had a lady not too long ago who wrote in and was like, look, I'm afraid I'm a single mother. I'm afraid that I will lose my job and I do not know what to do. She has no additional family around. It's just her, Mm -hmm. how she's going to support her family. So different things like this is definitely an option. I am going to ask you to come into the mentoring moment segment. You have so much to give and we all need mentors. A lot of times we just don't know who to ask. So I'm asking you this question just to give us more of yourself and more of what you've already given to us. What would you tell or give? What kind of advice would you give to someone like my listener who just recently said, Hey, they've been laying off at my job and I'm a single parent. What would you suggest that she would do right off? Yeah. So I would suggest for her that depending on how large and how her home is set up, 
and how comfortable she is. If she has a basement or something like that, that she can put like uh, secure locks on, digital locks on. So it's completely separate from her own living space. Mm -hmm. I would suggest that she could Airbnb that basement because that way she doesn't have to go out and really have any additional expenses whatsoever because that's a concern for her. So that would be the first recommendation I would do. And then I would definitely... um, tell her to set up her listing so that she has to approve everybody who books, meaning that they can't instant book. So if it's a property that is not where you live, you want to turn on instant book, which means as long as they meet the requirements you you set up, they can instantly book your property without having a long drawn out conversation with you. Once they book, then you can talk to them. But because it's in your house, I would say don't turn instant book on, make it so that you can actually see who would be booking and look at their reviews and things like that. So that would be my first recommendation. But if she doesn't have a place like that, or because of everything going on, she's not comfortable whatsoever with that, then I would suggest she co-hosts. So I would suggest she go out and find somebody who has a property, whether it's in her personal network, I would say ask your friends, ask your family, see if anybody has vacant property somewhere, or go out and maybe talk to some landlords who might be interested. And you may have to talk to a lot of people, but once you find someone who's willing to co-host for you, that is basically when you learn the skills of how to actually host that's money just coming in because you don't have any upfront expenses. The only expense was your time to go out and actually do the work to find a property and find an owner who was willing to work with you. So that would be my suggestion to her. I definitely would not suggest at this time master leasing because you do have to have money up front. And maybe she has some savings, but I'm sure, well, I don't know, but just to not have to outlay any additional money, co-hosting or hosting in your own space would be my recommendations for her. That is great advice. I appreciate that for her and anybody else who this information applies to, because this is very helpful. So in saying that, how long before we can see the money? Well, if you're co-hosting, not long at all, because once you get your first booking, you're going to get a percentage of the bookings revenue regardless. So that's why I do love co-hosting. It's a great way to start. And there are some people who have been doing this for years and they have switched their business model completely to co-hosting for that reason. Yeah. And it's like I said, it's all about your personality and what you like, if you enjoy working with other people or if you don't. If you're master leasing, you could still start seeing money in your first month as long as you did your numbers. So if you're able to get a short or longer term stay and they're covering your rent and then your utilities as well, and then you start to see a profit. Depending on what your nightly rate is and if you negotiated really well with your rent, you could see money in your first 30 days. But say you are ready to get in and you want to buy a property. Is there a way to make sure that you have a safety net? Because it's like, how do I know I'm going to rent? Because it's not like having a long-term lease. Is there anything that you could advise with that? Yeah. So I wouldn't say I don't recommend buying a property. I say if you can, and you're ready for that, go for it. The only thing with that is that it takes a little bit because most of the time, if you're buying specifically for Airbnb, that means it's like an investment property. So you're usually going to have to put 20% down. You're going to have closing costs. You may have repair costs. So I would say one, make sure you've got all your, your money together. And then two, I would say have multiple exit strategies. And what I mean by that is don't 
only buy this property using Airbnb numbers saying, okay, well, I saw that I could make $300 a night. So I know I'll be able to cover my mortgage and all my expenses have multiple exit strategies. Okay. I know I can make this much and make all my expenses with Airbnb, but I also know if for whatever reason, it's like March, 2020 and Airbnb cancels all the bookings and refunds all the guests because that's what happened (laughs) when COVID hit. I know that I can then turn around and rent this property as a traditional rental and my numbers will still work. Or I know that I can use this property in X, Y, Z way. Or I know that based on the way I bought this property, I can sell it pretty quickly based on the market. So if you're buying a property, I would just say, don't buy it based on one strategy because we never, none of us have a crystal ball. We never know what's going to happen. So you just want to make sure that you are buying it in a way that no matter what happens, you can still thrive with. Okay. Now you mentioned COVID and that whole situation. How do you survive through COVID? Yeah. So I always say, I will admit that first three weeks was a bloodbath because none of us saw it coming. And so for me, I had a lot of international guests, people coming from Europe, from Africa, all over Asia as well. And so that initial couple of weeks, Airbnb, and they, they since apologized and made us somewhat whole, but they initially canceled all those bookings and then refunded the guests. They didn't even ask the host, which I understand why (laughs) they did it because the guests couldn't come, but like everyone was blindsided. So for me and my students and my clients, what we did is we started to pivot pretty fairly quickly to longer stays. So I host a good number of travel nurses. They're one of my favorite type of people to host for midterm stays. And travel nurses are people who, or nurses, who they might get a short assignment at a hospital not in their area. You might live in Florida, but you get an assignment in California or something like that for three months. And then maybe you want to extend it because you like the city, you like the hospital. And it's usually hospitals that have a shortage. So this was a thing before COVID, but it's even more of a thing now where hospitals have dire need for nurses and they usually pay more than your local hospital would. So a lot of nurses will travel to these areas. And the thing is they're going for work. So they need a place like tomorrow. A lot of times Mm -hmm. I've had travel nurses who are like, my assignment starts on Monday and it's Thursday. (laughs) So they they need someone that's close to the hospital, that is nice and good conditions. So especially now when they come home, they can decompress. And that goes back to having your streaming services, having those amenities available, having good kitchen wear so that they can eat all of that. But travel nurses are great because They are usually staying for at least a month at a time, usually three months. And a lot of times if they like their assignment, they will renew it. And a lot of times they're getting a stipend for housing from the hospital. So they're oftentimes able to pay a little bit more. So we pivoted to that. We also actually at the time had a lot of students who were displaced from their university campuses. Hmm. Just thinking outside of the box, thinking of people who are looking for shorter term stays. I had some people who stayed from March until October, and it was because she wasn't sure if she was going to stay in the city that much longer. And she was looking for a job. So she just needed somewhere that was 
flexible enough that if she wanted to, she kept renewing every month. So she would just book for a month and I knew she was doing this. So I held it for her until the middle of every month and touched base with her. Mm -hmm. Um, But she just kept renewing at the end of the month. And she was specifically looking for a place that would afford her that. So it needed to be a short-term rental. Okay. Well, you are a wealth of knowledge, which is why, how you probably were able to generate over $200,000 in a year by doing this. So how was that possible? So that was possible because I was co-hosting. So that's again, why I say I love co-hosting. So I was working with different partner owners who had properties and it was a mix. I had some that were just two bedrooms or one bedrooms in the middle of the city. And then I had some that were in the suburbs and there were like three or four bedroom houses, some that were doing like crazy numbers per night. And then some that were just doing decent numbers per night. Co-hosting allows you to have multiple types of properties and to scale a lot faster because it's not like you have to go out and get all these rents or buy all these properties. You're just going out and getting partner owners to co-host for. So that's how we were able to do that. And then really using systems. So this is where like the last piece I talked about, learning how to automate things, learning how to figure out your system. That's why I always suggest people host for a little bit so they know how the whole process works and they know how they like things to work so that eventually you document your process and you document your system and you're able to delegate that to people. Maybe you get an assistant or something like that or a team member on the grounds. But then there are also great tools that you can use to automate quite a bit of this. So that's how you're able to scale as well. All right. So you are able to scale because I'm like, how are you managing this? And how many properties were you able to produce that with? Was that like with 10 properties or 20,000 properties? No, no, that you hit the number on the head. It was 10 properties. So, and that came out of just time learning systems and learning what I call my system. So learning how to automate things, automating my guests, messages, automating my check-ins so that I physically don't have to go meet guests, which is more important now than ever. I I like to answer as many questions up front as possible. So I give a lot of information so that I'm answering questions by this guest before they even pop up. So how do I actually get into the property? How do I work the TV? Where is this? Where is that? So I'm giving them guidebooks. I'm giving them all this information before they even get there. And then when they're in the property, a guidebook to show them where things are and all of that helps to make things run a lot more smoothly. And then you might even get to the point where you have a team member who's managing a lot of this for you. So for me, I have a partner who manages a lot and she manages a lot of my clients as well. So it's all about the more you learn, the more you learn, because Even if you were to go that route, you want to know what's right and what's not. You don't, for me, I wouldn't do that necessarily out of the gate unless it was my own property and I'm just hiring a property manager. But if you're co-hosting, you want to know how to co-host. You want to know how to actually be a host. I love the fact that you use the lavish model. Tell us about the lavish method. It lavish is just beautiful. The word. (laughs) I want something fancy. (laughs) Touched on it a little bit earlier. It's learn assemble, village search, interior design, setup, and hone. So that's what I touched on earlier, which is learn your rules and regulations, learn what you can do in your area, assemble your team. So that's like assembling any tools that you want to use, your cleaners, 
Also, even setting up like your business entity, your business bank account, you, I would suggest having it, unless you're doing this in your own home, just as a true side, like small thing, you probably want to have a separate bank account. So you're not commingling. What? So you mean to tell us a piggy bank won't work? Oh, you got to set that up. <laughs> yes. Assembling all of that. Village search is like searching your village. So I like to call it village search because like I said, you'd be surprised who you might know in your own personal network. Like my girlfriend who had that apartment building and had a vacancy or just going out and searching your local area, finding landlords who might be interested in working with you or just owners in general, people who own property. So that's the village search piece. Then you, once you find a place, you want an interior design. So figuring out like what you would want to put into the property, how you want it to look, what the design aesthetic is going to be and then set up. So um, setting everything up, like actually the two to three days is how I teach people how to do it because I want you to set things up as quickly as possible. But even if you're going a little slower and it's going to take you like a week or two, that time where you're, it's the physical setup, putting the furniture in there, laying everything out, hanging up the artwork, putting in the kitchen stuff, like all of that, setting everything up, setting up your listing, getting it on Airbnb, having your photos taken, all of that is the setup piece. And then hone is when you hone your system and you hone your skills. So that is really learning how to automate things, learning what your regular messages are going to be like, okay, people ask, me all the time about parking. So I know this is my standard message about parking. People seem to have trouble checking in with self-check-in. So I know that I need to figure out a way to make that easier for them. Do I need to record a video? Do I need to write it down like A, B, C, one, two, three, this is what you need to do. So you figure out because every property is different. So you need to hone the skills and figure out what the process is for your property. And then once you do that, you can start to delegate if that's something that you want to do, maybe have someone join your team who's helping you and then putting in automation. There are tools out there that can help you actually automate a lot of this stuff. A lot of technology has been built around Airbnb because it's such a big industry and business. So all of that is in that process. And then, like I said before, if you want to do this as a business, then you can begin to scale and repeat the entire process. This is so wonderful. So Nana, please tell us another thing. You are so full of knowledge. I can't let you go yet. Okay. I love to travel internationally. There are so many different Airbnbs international. Tell us where your properties and I, cause I know you have some international if we wanted to be international, what can we do? Yeah. Yes. I have an Airbnb in Ghana in West Africa with my parents. Oh yeah. <laughs> we host that remotely because we're here in the US. So what I would say is you definitely like you have to have someone on the grounds that you trust. I, I would suggest self-check-in is really good. I would suggest having good security measures. And then an on the grounds person who is like your right hand man or woman, so that if a guest has any sort of issues or concerns, they want to know that there's someone in the same country as them in the same city who can come and help them out. So that is what I would definitely suggest. And then I would also say having good systems in place. So if you've co-hosted before or you've hosted before, I hosted before I did 
this internationally. So I didn't have as much of a learning curve. So I was able to implement the things that I'd learned along with the nuances of Ghana. So that's another thing you have to take into consideration is there are going to be nuances of whatever location you are doing this internationally that might be different from the U.S. So for instance, in Ghana, the way that you would pay for your utilities is different than here. It's not always month to month. A lot of times it's pay as you go or as you use. So like you have to get credits and things like that. And that was like a whole brand new thing to me. I didn't really realize it because I only go intermittently every couple of years and all that's usually just right. I didn't know. Like learning those things, you want to give yourself time and having somebody on the grounds, like we have somebody who is phenomenal. So he helps get the guests set up with the Wi-Fi and get additional Wi-Fi if needed and put in rules and, okay, this is how much we're paying for and what you're paying for. So internationally, you just have to know how things work in whatever that country is. I know it's going to be different in different countries. So that is what I would say. Have a great on the grounds person that you trust because our first person, sometimes you have to, like I said, kiss some frogs and you may have to realize what you just have to go for it sometimes, learn and adjust as you go. Okay. So if we don't have anybody in this international country, but we really want to have a property there, say we know we want it to be our retirement home, but we want to start paying for it now with the income of Airbnb, how can we find someone that we trust? I would say find another host, find someone who, because of course you want to go do this in a country where they're there is a market for Airbnb. So I would say find another host who has great reviews. They're close to the location that you're looking to do this in. So like the first person who was helping us, they were another host. They lived like five minutes from our property. If there was any issue, they could easily get there. I knew they knew the business of Airbnb. So that is what I would say, especially because you're not there. So you want someone who knows what they're doing. So if it's not like a family or friend member that you trust, I would say get another host, talk to a couple, see who you vibe with, see whose reviews are great. You don't want to go get someone whose reviews are in the trash because your reviews are (laughs) so all of that. And even sometimes similar property types. Because then you just know, okay, they know how to deal with a three bedroom in this area. They know what kind of guests we're going to get. It doesn't have to be that way, but all of that helps. The more familiar with your property type they are, the the more helpful. And then you would be possibly doing like a co-hosting split with them. So kind of thinking about what you would be willing to pay them. I am just floored by everything that you have given today. I'm glad it's good information for you guys. Yes, yes, it is good information. I know that I probably am going to be getting some DMs and some emails or, hey, how can I get in touch with Nana? So please let everybody know. Yes, definitely. So you can find me um, on Instagram at Nana Alice Nyarko. That's N-A-N-A. Alice, A-L-I-C-E, Nyarko, N-Y-A-R-K-O. And I also have the B&B from scratch course. So you can learn all my tips, get into details about the lavish method. But even on Instagram, I share a lot of good information and tips about short-term rentals, about business and entrepreneurship in general. 
personal development because that's one of the things I'm passionate about as well. So Instagram is really where I live. I know that I'm going to be living on your page because (laughs) you are just phenomenal. Thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. As always, thanks for listening. And if you got value out of the show, please show us some love and rate us by going to ratethispodcast.com backslash Total Fit Boss Chick. You're listening to the Total Fit Boss Chick Podcast. Bye for now.